hi, welcome to outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between my name is chris. i'm in new york city, and i'm joined by my very best friends tricia in la hello and jason in d c hey hi, everybody. today, we are joined by our other very best friend, sharice. hi, sharice hello sharice is on because she's a fabulous light-skinned black woman and she has some ideas on colorism, and we are going to talk about that today. So buckle up, America. Uh, Sharice, hi. It's <laughs> <laughs> so nice to meet you. Sharice, tell us a little bit about why you want to talk about this topic and what colorism means to you. To me, colorism is just my experience as a light-skinned person in the Black community and how that's kind of informed who I am as a person and some decisions that I've made for my life and the interactions I've had with with others. So that might not be the definition of colorism for everybody, (laughs) but for me, it's just based on the experiences I've had. And what kind of experiences have you had around it? Because I mean, in in colorism, we're talking about color. So there's, and we mentioned being light-skinned. So what have your experiences been? Okay. Yeah, I think it's important to put this in in context a little bit. So I grew up in a military town that the schools I went to, all the social circles I ran were very multiracial. And what I couldn't realize then, but I realize now is that we were mainly the same social class, but not necessarily the same race. So I had a lot of friends who who were black, Filipino, white. Race just didn't seem to matter as much in terms of our friendship. But I did notice that in terms of blackness, there seemed to be a way that people kind of wanted to escape from it within those groups. So that's how I kind of experienced colorism a little bit in that way. Like there was a sense of trying to find something that was a little more exotic than just being black in that multiracial context. So when you say exotic, Charisse, is is that does it have to do with like having a certain culture that goes beyond like an American culture? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. So in, in my community in particular, where I was, it seemed like there was this heavy emphasis on identifying, especially like just with any Caribbean country. And so there were a lot of Puerto Ricans. Um, there were a few Dominicans, um, and for whatever reason, people in my group, the group that I was hanging with tend, were gravitating towards that culture. And I don't know those cultures, so I just don't know why, but it just seemed that way. And so I noticed a lot of people would claim that they had Caribbean heritage, but they didn't necessarily, they just loved the culture. <laughs> and so I kind of just did the same thing too. Like all the Puerto Ricans were like, hey, you're a part of our group. So I was like, okay, I'm a part of your group, but I don't speak Spanish, but they're like, hey, you're still a part of our group. I always felt welcome with open arms, but my experience with other black people, and it wasn't always this way. I had quite a few friends who never treated me any differently other than just treating me as like a human being. But I noticed that sometimes in interactions, there would be some comments sometimes. And I know I had a really bad experience in first grade that never left me. And it kind of, it kind of informed the way I started seeing myself in black spaces where there was a girl, I was on the playground um, and there was this girl, I think she was in my class, I can't fully remember, but I know she came straight up to me on the, pr- the playground and I had my hair in two braids and she said, I don't like you, I wanna cut your hair, I hate you. And I couldn't understand why she would say that to me. And she just had this stare of 
like, I want to hurt you. <laughs> so I just, it took that and I just was so hurt by it. And it's just throughout the years, I feel like I carried that with me because I couldn't understand where that came from with this person who I had no idea, like I didn't have any real relationship with her. Has your thinking changed about that girl over time? I'd say now I realize she was probably in a lot of pain with maybe something she went through. I mean, I could see if she said that and I had done something to her, but I had not done anything to her, but I internalized it as I did something wrong. So I guess over time, I've been able to let that go. But now that I've had more experience out in the real world and in many different cultural contexts, I kind of have an understanding of why she might have felt a certain type of way. I mean, was she noticeably darker than you? Was that, yeah. a, was oh, that yeah. a thing? Yeah. yeah. She was, she was much darker and she had short hair. Can I um, turn the question a little bit to you, Chris and Trisha? Like, this is very interesting, right? Because Sharice is light-skinned, not of Caribbean um, background, and you two are darker-skinned and of Caribbean background. I'd love to hear, like, whether you think... And obviously, there's there's anecdotal colorism, and then there's, you know, structural or, or more institutional colorism. And I'm just wondering whether you two have had experiences with it. And I know you two grew up in very different places, so... Wait, you, now you're interviewing us? <laughs> well, I, That's I not mean, the format of the show, Jason. I, you know, no pressure if you don't want to answer, but I just think it's very interesting. Just given, I didn't, I wasn't planning on doing this, but given how Sharice laid it out, like people gravitating towards Caribbean culture, like it's interesting that we have two other people who are from Caribbean culture. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think it's actually really intriguing that, because I always say to my family members, I was like, it's really cool to be Caribbean now. Because when I was younger, it really wasn't, you know, our accent was a big thing for because uh, I came to the United States when I was 10. So I had a chance to experience elementary school here. And so it was a very big thing to be seen as an outsider, which I was designated by all the kids. This is a foreign person because I guess what I'm coming in in fifth grade. <laughs> Most people have been going should, together for a long time. You should say for the audience that you came into Philly and what was the makeup of the people in your elementary school? Um, overwhelmingly black, you know, yeah. it's, it's a black elementary school. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point in time, I'd say probably a good mixture. I'd say it was probably, um, uh, maybe 50% black, 30% white and 10% of others, um, or 10 to 20% of others. And so, and a mix. Um, but I remember at the time having an accent was a big thing. I had to get rid of it. Um, you know, and so it's interesting over time, how, the notion of what is exotic or interesting has emerged culturally for black people, right? Because the closer you were to Africa, which people perceive the Caribbean as being, the worse off you sort of were in Amer in American black people's eyes, right? So it was like erase all parts of it and immediately embrace something that was going to feel very American. Um, and I'm also extremely dark. So I was also, you know, I was called like blackie and by black Americans and all of that, because that was also a part of their orientation at the time. That was a sort of insult that could be lobbied at me. I didn't even realize it could be because that was never done when I was in Jamaica because we were all black people. And in, weirdly enough, we were all black people. But as a kid, I never really experienced colorism in Jamaica but I think having left Jamaica, I understand that it's actually a huge part of the society. But as a child, I didn't understand it or experience it that way. And My first introduction to it was here in America. As a child, I had a very different experience from Trisha in that I moved to an entirely 
white community when I was five. And we were the only black people there. And I've said this on this podcast before. Famously, I didn't meet any African-American people until Mm. I went to college because the only black people I knew were my family and my friends. And all of those black people were Caribbean. In my community, like I was just black and that was as much as they wanted to know about it. (laughs) I wasn't aware that colorism was a thing until much later. Not that Caribbean people don't have ideas about dark skin and light skin because they absolutely do. And that got communicated to me in so many ways that I didn't really pick up on until I was an adult. Just the way that, you know, especially like the people in my family, the people who are lighter, I have some aunts who are lighter than others and just the way, their position as far as the family's concerned and the way that people treated them, I wasn't aware that it came down to skin color, but it absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely did. Uh, which is terrible. I'm excited to have this conversation with you, Sharice, because like like I said, colorism is something I didn't really think about. And being a dark-skinned person, well, I guess let me turn this into a question for you. Like when you were younger, right, you had some trauma around skin color with other black people, specifically that one bitch on the playground. But <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was just waiting. Chris is going to find a way to go after this little girl. I just knew it. I mean... I love how charitable you are, Sharice. Like, oh, she was going to go, I mean, yes. And she's a child, but goddamn, what a, I mean, you're still thinking about this decades later. That's terrible. But you, you've grown up, you've moved through your life. Being lighter skinned as a black person, like, do you see that as a privilege? And depending on your answer, yes or no, I'm just wondering, how do you access that or do you? That's a good question. Yeah. And I think it depends on where I'm at. Outside of the Black community, for me, it's been more of a privilege. I'm not going to say I'm totally privileged because I get a lot of discrimination, too. But I'd say I have easier times navigating multiracial spaces than some of my other friends do. I'll say, so I was, I never really wanted to join all Black groups um, when I was growing up. So in in college, I didn't join any or not fraternities, but sororities. Like I wasn't a part of any of that stuff. And my sister, I have a twin sister and she pledged AKA. She was really into that, like wanted the whole, a different world experience and all of that. Um, even though she didn't go to HBCU, she still wanted that experience. And you can have it at a, a, a college like William & Mary. You could find your little niche. I didn't do any of that. The first time I joined an all black group was a couple of years ago. It was through a religious organization. And it was a time where I was at a multi-racial multi, uh, church, and that's what the church prided itself on. But then everyone just kind of broke off, all the different ethnicities broke off into their own groups. So there was like a black women's group, a black men's group. Then there was a Latino group and an Asian group. And there was like a huge uproar because they're like, why are people doing this? And I decided, well, let me try this black women's group, something I would have never done before. And let me see how I feel going into that space. I was very nervous going there the first day. It was probably over 20 people. I didn't really know any of them. I didn't really know what to expect, but I was like, I'm going to do this because this is something I need to do for myself. I need to put myself in an all black space to heal from whatever types of stuff that I've, I've had over the years about being in all black spaces. We went around the room and people were kind of talking about why they wanted to be there or just something interesting about I don't know, something happening in their life or their experiences. And most of the people were were talking about experiences. They wanted to talk about experiences they had being a black person in white culture. 
But I went in there and said, I'm here because I want to heal from the experiences I've had in Black culture and the discrimination I've experienced in all Black groups. So I was like, I'm really, I want to be here so that I can heal from this. And I remember it just got totally silent when I said that. And I don't know if I upset people or what, but I felt awkward because I was like, well, I'm speaking my truth here and I'm here because I want to be here. But then I felt like, did I say the wrong thing? I think there were one or two other light-skinned. I think one of them was mixed and the other one, I think she was light-skinned. But that was something in itself, like within that group, that was the first time where I experienced just because I was lighter skinned, I was called the name of the other person all the time when they'd see us. So there are people who remember my name, but I was often confused with the other light skinned people. Well, how did that group turn out? Did it, did it end up transforming your relationship with the community or no? Did it evolve? Did it heal you? That's actually really interested in. Was that experience a healing experience for you? I think when I left it at the time, I think I healed a bit. No, I wouldn't say fully, but it definitely was a place where I needed to be and I needed to experience that because I realized within that group, I realized we were all going through different things, but we had common threads to our, like, the things that we really wanted to work out and within our own lives. And even if we were different colors, different shades, we could all, like, come together and understand that we wanted to be better people. We wanted to heal from whatever we were going through and we we just loved each other. So I would say that it was a positive experience for me even though it was very tough for me. Um, you've heard us, Sharice, talk about, you know, some of, the, some of the dialogue around the extent to which color and other shade and, and, and other characteristics can give someone more or less access to, you know, certain careers or, um, and popular culture and that kind of thing. And, you know, there is a lot of dialogue, maybe even and maybe even an increasing amount of dialogue, I think, among Black people, right, about, you know, a lot of the Black actresses who get the most work tend to be lighter skin and that kind of thing. And and so then there's, like, the meta conversation, right, about, like, whether that's a useful conversation or whether it's just, you know, a, a group of people who, even though there are differences, a group of people who, on the whole, are discriminated against that need to be you know, united against the, the, the larger problems of, of racism. I'm just curious, like, how you think about that, like, whether you think those kinds of dialogues are constructive or whether you think they're more divisive and not helpful. Yeah, that's a good question, Jason. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have a really good answer for you on that. I feel like it's tough because I feel like there is a, a strong representation of light-skinned I'd say especially actresses playing some of these roles. And sometimes I wonder, like, were there other people who showed up to the casting that just didn't do well? Like, or were they, were they like the best person for the role or not? And I, because I'm not too familiar with the industry and I'm not an insider, I don't really know. But I will say, I feel like perception of beauty is changing within the experiences I've had. Like, when I see stuff that's like really in fashion now, like everyone wants box braids. Like there's certain things about like black culture that people are gravitating towards. And I just think maybe standards of beauty from my perspective, maybe not as like a society or are shifting a bit. People always ask, are we having a moment, right? Cause it's a moment, it's a moment because and people and the reason why people say are we having a moment is because they understand that there's been an enduring 
attraction to a certain type of beauty. So it's like, even when you talk about female directors and people want to call it like a me too moment, how long can this last? And, Oh, we now want people to look like Lupita. How long will this last? You know? And so there are these, there, there I think there've been sort of swings about what is kind of an attractive piece of uh, what is what re- represents beauty in the black community, right? You can think about sort of like the pro-black era with the Afro, but that somehow changed. And we moved into this other space where maybe if you're looking at rap music videos, you're definitely seeing what black men think are supposed to be attractive. And oftentimes it's not dark-skinned women, right? And so mm-hmm. it's, there, there's just these like really strange like ebbs and flows, I think of culture. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, this is a yeah. moment. One thing I will say just in terms of the movie business, is one thing people talk about casting someone that's a, a woman that's fuckable mm-hmm. a, a director always wants to see a woman that he wants to fuck which is the tendency is to then say well then who are you seeing on the screen nobody thinks they want to fuck viola davis yeah even she's a great actress it's halle berry or lighter <laughs> <laughs> i mean and, and and white actresses complain about the same thing right it's mm-hmm. like that's why blondes or whatever so whomever the culture decides is fuckable it's sort of what you see gets presented. I keep saying that because I remember someone said that they, a, a producer actually came out and said that in a conversation. Wow. <laughs> but, Which you is know. shocking until you think about it. You're like, well, of course, that's well, how you're making decisions, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but I don't even know if those things, are they resonant? Like, are they deeply changing in a way enough for you to feel like, I feel like this is a real culture shift and we're going to, as black people, we're asking ourselves about internalized racism and internalized colorism yeah. and all that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that's the position for me that I find really more, not more interesting, but I, I don't mean to sound ignorant or naive, but I really didn't learn about colorism until I was in my 20s, right? Like the idea that there were colorism within the black community. And when when someone stated it to me clearly what colorism was, I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. At the time, it was uh, in grad school, like dark-skinned people saying they actively disliked light-skinned black people because they have access to, uh, you know, white passing privilege, et cetera, depending on the situation. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, that's that's not a thing. So it wasn't a thing for me. Like, I I never really stopped to think about it to those, like, practical dimensions. Like, I do not like another black person because they are light-skinned. So I, I guess my question is, I mean, you have been light-skinned for a long time, Sharice, right? So, uh, do you, think you probably perception... don't even remember what life was like before you were there. Yeah, red hair and freckles. <laughs> do you think that the black community is changing with this? Because I remember there was a period in time, maybe around the turn of the century, where this hit its zenith. Like, I really remember black people, like, not just actively making the, the choice to position darker-skinned women, but actively saying that they dislike lighter skinned women. Like, do you think this is shifting from there? Is that changing? Like, are we moving or is it a moment? That's a good question. They're all good questions. Yeah. (laughs) I'll just give an example of things that I see happening around me. So I, like in terms of privilege, I don't know if I necessarily have privilege or I don't know if I benefit from it in the same way. And if I do, maybe I'm ignorant to it. But it, when I look at like a lot of my friends who've recently got married, they're all dark skinned black women. And a majority of them either married a light skinned black man or a white man. And that seems to be like 
when I look when I look at what's happening in the dating sphere around me with the black women I know, that seems to be the trend I see. And um, I don't like when I, I think about it in terms of like when I think about hip hop when I when I was in college, it seemed like all the video hoes looked like me. They were light skin, curly hair, and so that was like the object of desire it seemed for like for some black men. And I always thought, oh, that's like, I won't have any problems. From my experience, it's like, they're not tearing down walls to want to date me. You have other options. You have Latina women, you have Asian women, you have white women. So like, I don't know what privilege in terms of that is. And I mean, this is out. Some of it's inside like black culture. Some of it's just like culture in general, but it just feels a little weird because sometimes I will go into more elite black spaces and I feel like maybe it matters more than where people want to know what family you're from and um, what schools you went to to see if you have any connection or, but just in general, I haven't experienced a huge amount of privilege. I think, can we sort of pull back a little bit? Cause I, I mean, I think, I think there's definitely colorism that happens in the black community around kind of, perceptions about privilege right there's there's always a sense that the light the the closer you are to white the better it is right that's at least the black community sense and so whenever this conversation comes up from light-skinned people there's always a little bit of like eye rolling and like okay let's talk about this but I mean I do think that on some level though we have to give ourselves an opportunity to talk about internalized racism based on a fact that we're part of a racist culture and that this is how it plays out amongst us and we should be able to talk about it together but I feel like we don't really give ourselves permission to do that because it's like airing our dirty laundry right it's like letting white people know that they got in right that they really did sort of change our sense of ourselves and our sense of what beauty is so we don't really want to expose that I have lots of conversations with a host of a particular podcast about this issue. And I, that's how I started it. I said, you know, we should really be able to have a, a deep conversation about this with each other. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he was very dismissive of it. He's like, really, what happens is these people have a personal problem and they, re- they don't realize that they've actually internalized anti-blackness. People who push back at that, unfortunately, is that basketball player's wife. What's her name? That one? Uh, uh, the, Wait, the Curry, Curry. Aisha. Curry. I, yeah, Aisha okay. Curry. You know, I think she accuses the community quite a few times of, you know, of pushing back on her because she's light skin, right? So I feel like there's there needs to be an opportunity for us to talk about it internally as Black people, but I I feel like we are really uncomfortable with that conversation. Mm-hmm. It feels like we're like we weaponize whiteness internally amongst ourselves, and we don't want to admit that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, I'm just coming to terms with myself and being okay with being a black woman. And that sounds pretty sad, but like, I know I was having a conversation with Jason a couple, probably a couple years ago now. And I, because of some of the rejection I faced from some black peers and just not feeling like I fully belonged, like, I was like, if I learn another language, no one's ever going to know. So I've been able to kind of cross different cultures. I became fluent in a language, another language, and no one questioned me. They just assumed, ah, she's one of us or whatever. And so I've been able to kind of float between different spaces. And there came a point where I was just like, I'm not okay with this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, 
my whole family, they identify as black, they're proud, they're fine. And I was like, why am I the only person who seems to have an issue or who hasn't just accepted it or who hasn't embraced it? It's like I kept resisting and fighting and I, I don't, you know, a lot of it is white supremacy. <laughs> and with the experiences I've had in the past few years, like putting myself intentionally in some of these groups, really thinking about it in, in more healthy ways, not always focusing on racism and race, I think that's helped me a bit. I mean, it still creeps up because it just, it's the way of the culture now, mm -hmm. but I'll definitely say I'm not ashamed of being a black woman where I felt like before I was because I wasn't, I didn't feel fully accepted. And then, yeah. Just. So the so the shame came out of feeling not not accepted, not because you yourself think that there is something wrong with being black. I think it was a mix of the two, not mm -hmm. being accepted. And then just like, I guess in a lot of ways, it was just wanting to be white. It's like, mm -hmm. well, if I'm this light and my hair is this long and all this, why can't I just why can't I just be white? Why can't I have that same privilege, I think? And I think that really affected me for a long time. I think that's fair. I mean, because I, I think that, and I think in some strange way, that is the thing that gets at the core of, I think, light people's, light-skinned people's rejection from Black people is that potential that you had to escape, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we can't escape, but you potentially can't escape. And I think there's a tremendous amount of resentment there. Mm -hmm. because of that like <laughs> of, yeah you know what I mean like uh, I want to be outside of this space right I mean for you it came out defensively because you wanted to escape a place where it was painful but mm -hmm. I I often think that this whole idea that I hate light skin really comes out of this belief that you could potentially lose yourself in another world if you wanted to do it aggressively and there's a ton of resentment around that Mm -hmm. if, if, if I think black people are honest with ourselves about it, it's uncomfortable, but I think yeah. there's a huge part of that. For a while, there was a chicken sandwich that's really popular. And so people were using this as a way to sort of push back and sort of like call black people out. Like you're lining up for chicken sandwiches, but you're not lining up to vote. And it was really interesting to watch it. And then I was reading a lot of commentary from like social historians and people. And they said, you know what it is? At the core of it, we have all been taught to hate ourselves, you know, as black people. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. And so because some of the people who are doing the judging are black people. So I always feel like colorism conversations can't happen in the black community because we don't want to admit how much of the culture has taught us to hate ourselves. You know, <laughs> and like, there and how you that, go, yeah, how that plays out, right? Um, because I know it was very subtle, but I could tell that like light skin was, or like not light skin, but hair texture or certain things when you're a kid. Ooh, you're the good cousin because your hair can do oh, good I mean, hair, right? You I know, know good, oh, please, <laughs> good hair. Let me yeah. tell you something the endless conversations when babies are born, like, oh, he's got good hair, I hope it lasts. <laughs> I hope it stays that way. I hope it stays good and I'm not presumably evil like my hair. <laughs> I hope it doesn't turn. I feel like yes, that's what I heard. Yes. When I hope it, it doesn't turn. turn. Yeah, his hair turned when he was about six. I had good hair, but it turned when I was four. I mean, that's how we talk about ourselves and our bodies. Uh, and it's so wrong. I think we always think about ourselves 
And then we also think in family spaces, but then we're also thinking about ourselves as capitalist products. Like, how will we get jobs? You know, <laughs> I mean, like all of those things. And we're both ourselves personally, but then we're also these like things that are have to go out and earn a living. Right. That's the whole like, give your kid an African-American middle name, but make yes. sure there's a white first name or else they're never going to get a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the re- and the research shows it. Yeah, that's true. Up. Yep. Those resumes, yep. Cherise, uh, we're wrapping up, but I'm going to ask you, you know, when it comes to this topic of colorism or self-discovery, is there anything that you've read, heard, seen, or experienced that you'd recommend someone else read, hear, see, or experience to enhance their understanding on that topic? Yeah, they're both books, um, but one of them is also a movie. Uh, the Wedding by Dorothy West. More so, I'm thinking about the movie that Oprah produced, I think, back in the 90s. But it was about an upper-class Black family. And I think colorism was like a huge part of that movie about who you married, who you didn't marry. And um, the youngest daughter was marrying a white jazz musician who was poor. And they're like, why couldn't you have married a Black man who was a doctor or something? So I feel like that the book by Dorothy West and then the movie produced by Oprah are probably um, good examples of that. And then recently, I haven't finished the book yet, but I, she touches on it a lot, is Valerie Jarrett's new book, her autobiography. I just started listening to it last week, and she talks a lot about how colorism impacted her, um, especially in the beginning of her life. That's awesome. a great that's a great recommendation. Yeah, you know, to be is. honest, I didn't know she was black. I didn't know she was black until she was insulted by somebody. Really? Like, bar. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. Like, until Roseanne, but I honestly, you know, I thought she might have been Latino, Latina. So I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, she's black. And then when I read Michelle Obama's book, I was like, oh. You know what you I know? have to say, though? Just in wrapping up, know. though, the fact that that's the thing about colorism that always used to stun me at the end of the day, because white people know who are black. And you didn't know she was black, but Roseanne Barr certainly knew she was black. You know what I mean? Like, that's the whole thing about colors, which I find just so infuriating. It's like black people are upset because light-skinned black people look white, but the white people know exactly who's This is the whole problem, right? Like, white people, you know, writ large, walk around, and when someone's walking down the block, the first thing, you know, consciously, unconsciously is like, is that person black? Should I be afraid? Is that, like, that's, unfortunately, that's the legacy of slavery in our country like it's awful burn it all down and on that note Therese thank you so much for Therese thank you for for being so personal I really appreciate it I I really appreciate you came on it's a very personal story and I thank you for sharing it with us and the people who listen to us Mm -hmm. thank you so much and um, of course until next time everyone bye bye